Hello and welcome to Centre for Mental Health's podcast, where we explore ideas around mental health and social justice. I'm Thea Joshi, and in each episode we hear from people with lived experience of mental health problems, people working in a specific area of mental health, or some of our own team, to discuss how we're fighting for equality in mental health. So Equally Well UK is a campaign we run at the centre in partnership with Rethink Mental Illness. And in today's episode, I was really pleased to sit down with Emma Bailey, who project manages Equally Well, and Hannah Moore, their vice chair, about how Equally Well UK is working to improve the physical health of people with severe mental illness. We know that the stats around life expectancy for people living with mental health difficulties like schizophrenia and bipolar are deeply worrying. So I wanted to hear from Emma and Hannah about how Equally Well is working with people with lived experience and clinicians to turn the tide on this and address such stark inequalities. Hope you enjoy. I am here today with Emma Bailey and Hannah Moore from Equally Well UK. Hi guys. Hi. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here. And we've been wanting for ages to chat to you guys about the Equally Well campaign that we run with Rethink Mental Illness. And I, I just want to dive in. Um, Emma, you've been leading the project for the last five years. For listeners who haven't heard about Equally Well, could you just talk us through it a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, so Equally Well is an initiative which was set up by a lady called Helen Lockett in New Zealand. For those that aren't aware about what Equally Well is, we look at the early mortality gap for people with severe mental illness, where they tend to die around 15 and 20 years earlier than the general population. Um, this is something that we know is a massive inequality. It has to change. And that's why Equally Well is formed. And we're working really hard with the growing membership to change that. We know that no one organisation can close the gap on their own. So we're very keen for as many organisations as possible to work with us, share what they're doing, and we also share tips with them and work and uh, collaboration. Um, so Equally Well was formed almost five years ago now. Um, in September, it'll be our fifth birthday, which, um, watch this space if you're a member. Um, <laughs> so I, I love the excitement there. Um, it's hosted by Centre for Mental Health in partnership with Rethink Mental Illness, and it's co-produced um, with an expert by experience group chaired by Marsha McAdam and um, vice chaired by Hannah Moore, who we've got with us today. Hello. <laughs> and then we've got the clinical group alongside that chaired by Professor Wendy Byrne. So everything that we do is done in co-production, working together um, as a partnership. And I think that's why it's been so successful so far. Amazing. I feel like whenever we talk about this, I find myself getting quite passionate about it because the more we discuss it, the more I recognise that this is like a critical part of what the centre does around equality and mental health. And there's this really stark inequality staring us in the face that people with severe mental illness don't have the same access to the physical health care that they need to support them to live healthy lives. So that's what we're really trying to do here with Equally Well, right? And I think, as you say, it's so exciting to see like clinical expertise and lived expertise coming together to create something that works for people who need it. This thing of like nothing about us without us. And it's saying like, actually, people who've gone through that experience are the experts in it. So on that note, Hannah, um, could you uh, just tell us a little bit about how and why you got involved in Equally Well? So um, I, when I was younger, I was doing professional gymnastics 
I was doing dance, I was doing all of those things. And um, my mental health declined quite early around the age of eight years old. And by the age of 14, I was put in hospital for um, I think 13 to 18 year olds. And we would basically sit around all day smoking and avoiding the education and being given lots of medication. And within four months, I put on four stone and I was unable to dance. I was unable to do gymnastics. It was, it was awful. I came out of that hospital a year later, probably about six stone bigger than I was and morbidly overweight. So oh. this stopped my dance, this stopped my everything. It was just awful. And being obese basically is a massive part of why people die early and that is because of the medication that the mental health people gave me so it's really important to me I've, I've, I've spent time in my life where I've lost weight and then I've put on weight and I've lost weight when they've changed my medication and things like that and so it's all down to medication I got put on a dep depot recently and I put on quite a bit of weight and then it just spiraled out of control and to me that's really important that you you get to do the things that you want to do but you can't if you're if you're that overweight and that's why I got involved in Equally Well because it's parity steam between mental health and physical health and they're not in hospital still to this day because I've I've I do still do stints in hospital when I have relapses and so still to this day they don't look after your physical health they don't it's all about mental health and medication and yeah they do their blood pressure every day or four times a day if they want to or they forget to do it once a day mm. and then that, that's about it that's that's all it is that's why I got involved in equally well for people to know that it's not okay for someone to be put on medication and to be putting on the weight without any interventions being taken to try and help them not put on the weight because it's just it's, it's awful it really is and there's lots of other different things like smoking sensation and I'm sort of a smoker I vape I sometimes smoke when I go out for a drink or whatever and then buy a cigarette for the next week but all those things is why I joined equally well because they need to be taken into consideration at when you're in just because your mental health is unwell doesn't mean your physical health should be ignored I mean that's exactly it isn't it and thank you so much Hannah for sharing that and yeah just want to acknowledge that this is your literally your lived experience and so you're like I really appreciate you sharing it with us today and like yeah just sharing it with our podcast listeners because that's literally the reason that equally well exists isn't it um yeah. So yeah, thank you. And I think um, that's what we're talking about a lot at the centre is this kind of like speaking up for like social justice in mental health. And it's like, as you say, it's not okay. But no. obviously mental health services are trying to support people's mental health, but to look at that part of someone and to completely ignore their physical health just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I totally agree. So Emma, at the beginning, you mentioned that equally well exists because the life expectancy of someone with severe mental illness is 15 to 20 years shorter than someone without and obviously that is shocking disturbing it's a horrible stat to have to say can you tell us a bit more about that and, and kind of what the reasons are behind it 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a complex one. It's not a sort of straightforward because of this. Um, however, there are the sort of key things that play in part with this. So the gaps larger due to a range of complexities. Um, so symptoms sometimes not being believed. So missing signs of emerging illness. Quite often it's the fact that we know that practitioners are overworked, they've got so much and they're focusing on the physical, uh, the mental health side of things of the patient, rather than looking at the overall side of their whole health. Then also the side effects of medication, like Hannah's pointed out, medication can play a massive part in this. Um, all too often we hear about how someone's put on medication rather than being told about the side effects or how the person can go about improving and making, well, preventing the uh, side effects, but also we've heard from patients that it's a lot better if they talk through with the GP, they would like to be involved in the decision making, they would rather have the options. So if they're being put onto medication, it's better to give them this range of things, tell them about how they can prevent putting on weight um, and some side effects that they can know about. Then also unhealthy environments, we've heard of some inpatient wards that can be very unhealthy from being able to order multiple takeaways a day um, to um, only having access to outdoor spaces if they're smoking. So a lot of them have ended up taking up smoking so that they can go outside if they're able wow, to. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of the time the um, staff working on the ward want to change this or they also don't want to make the, um, pe the people living with severe mental illness stay worse. So they agree to it because they want them to have the right uh, sort of or the best possible stay. However, we know that improving their physical health will achieve this. And I'll talk more later on about sort of interventions that we know of. Um, and then some of the horrible stats are things like people are more likely to have diabetes, heart disease, lung disease and cancer. They're more likely to have unhealthy weight are more likely to have multiple physical health problems alongside that. And that's all too often just not being picked up to do with their medication. Um, and just to say, we say quite often you hear about unhealthy lifestyle choices. Um, we know that things aren't a choice. If you've not got the money to be able to afford um, healthy food, and as a lot of our expert by experience members have said, I think we all know this, it's cheaper to go down to the chippy than it is to go to a shop and buy fruit and vegetables. And if you're struggling to pay the bills or put food on the table, you're gonna go for the cheaper options because that's all you can afford. Um, but at the same time, if you think about a time when you were last really unwell, the thought of getting up to even brush your teeth or um, wash your hair or make a meal from scratch, it's just not something that crosses your mind when you're really unwell. So if you think about if you're really unwell with your mental health, you're probably not going to go into the kitchen and start making a organic, healthy, expensive meal. You're going to end up thinking about takeaway, which is easier and more convenient. So I wouldn't call it a lifestyle choice. Um, but there are things that initiatives that are being put in place and things that are being done to help individuals. Can I interject there? Definitely. So some forensic units at the moment and PQ units, psychiatric intensive care units, are actually putting in place only one takeaway a week or two takeaways a week which I think mm. is a bit too much really for for someone to be having two takeaways a week maybe one maybe once every two weeks I don't know I don't know how many people times people have takeaways but 
in acute wards, things like Uber Eats, just um, just eat and Deliveroo is so easy to access on your smartphone. It's ridiculous. I was, and so was the rest of the patient cohort, getting three, two to three takeaways a day, whether it was a bubble tea or a milkshake or KFC, and then just spending all their money on takeaway because you don't have anything to spend your money on while you're in there. So why not spend it all on takeaway? Yeah, and I think it was so helpful what you were both saying there about kind of this like weird narrative that's out there about like lifestyle choices and this kind of idea of like blaming people for their health or lack of. And and as you say, like we can all think back to times where we've not been doing well mentally and it's like you don't have the energy to be thinking about what's healthy or like should I go for a run or not? It's just, you're just like, whatever's going to help you feel a bit better right and I like I love food and so for me that's definitely one of the things I go to um and so to be in a state where potentially you like are in like a crisis like literally a psychological crisis and then to then be saying oh well people should be eating more healthily and it's just like it doesn't make sense does it and when you add on like you said Emma especially at the moment the cost of living and the cost of food and fuel to cook and all of these things you just think it's a really weird narrative that's that's going around and so it's like really cool to hear you guys challenging that and and highlighting the evidence around it so during the pandemic we actually created um a resource which shared some helpful tips in it so it was things like frozen veg um and sort of going for a walk and things that um can work for different people and i think we'd added in different links from different organizations from like our members arthritis action had included a resource that there was a link in there so um i recommend looking at that as well there'll be other equally well resources but that one just sprung to mind as you were talking yeah we'll stick all of that in the show notes i i'm an all or nothing person i either eat everything in sight or i just when i'm ill or i just stop eating and drinking completely and on my last admission, I won't say what hospital I was in because it, it just doesn't really matter. It's not appropriate. But on my last admission, I stopped eating and drinking for 40 days whilst on a medication called lithium. When you're supposed to drink two litres a day of water to keep your levels of um, hydration up. And I wasn't eating for 40 days and I wasn't drinking very much. I was drinking very minimal when I was basically forced to drink. And they weren't doing any physical tests. All they were doing was your blood pressure. And it took to the stage on the 40th day where I had a cardiac arrest and had to be revived after seven minutes eventually of um, being dead, technically, I guess. And it took them till then to do any tests. So obviously I got taken to the general hospital and I found out that I had lithium toxicity. But really, if they'd been doing their job, they've been looking after their, the physical health of myself they would have known I got lithium toxicity because they should have done lithium tests they should have done blood tests like they do in the community they should have done lots of other tests they should have taken me off my lithium if I wasn't eating or drinking you, you can't not eat or drink when you're on lithium and it took to that stage where I was on lithium toxicity where I can now no longer ever take lithium which was a medication that really worked for me and didn't cause weight gain and it's 
you know, that really needs to be prevented. It's in impatience, it's really difficult to, to get your physical health done. Yes, they do your blood pressure. Yes, they sometimes, if they remember on a Sunday, do your weight, but most of the time they forget. And I just think it, it needs improving. And I think Equally Well is, is, is campaigning for that in lots of different ways. Thank you so much, Hannah, for sharing that. And um, it goes without saying that we're really grateful you're still here. Um, but, I, you know, we're sort of desperate to know then what is being done to prevent this? What, what is going on at the moment in terms of mental health services? Um, just to apologise in case you can hear my cat snoring behind. <laughs> um, I thought I'd mention in case there's a little bit of a sound in the background. Um, so we've got some brilliant members that are really working hard to um, address the physical health of people with severe mental illness and help improve it. Some of them have been uh, doing work, for instance, in their kitchens. So they've been involving their patients in the cooking side of things, which not only helps with the relationship that um, people can have with food, but it also helps them when they end up leaving hospital and uh, back in the community. Uh, as well and I think it probably helps with boredom if I was in hospital then it'd be quite nice to be involved in the cooking and deciding on what's going to be made then others have been doing things um, where for instance as Hannah was sharing earlier there are some hospitals where the physical health just isn't a priority when you're in um, mental health um, I've had members share that they've struggled to get someone a physical health proper check for a certain condition that they've had and it's not been until they've had to call an ambulance to then take them to the physical health hospital that they've had the support and I think as a staff member that's probably incredibly frustrating as well um, so they've been a lot of them have been doing work to make sure that a physical health nurse or doctor is going on the wards on a regular basis we've also heard about pharmacists that have been going onto the wards as well um, and speaking with patients, there's a number of different initiatives that members have been doing on that and improving the services. One of our members recently shared that they've actually been working with training their staff during handovers. And that's when the most amount of staff are on the uh, floor at the same time. So what they've been doing is very short uh, sort of snippets of the HEE um, training that's available on the website. It will be in the next Equally Well newsletter. Although when this goes live, it will be the last Equally Well newsletter for members. And um, others have been um, basically creating dedicated teams for the physical health check. We've been doing some work with NHS England on the outreach work, and there's some brilliant work that's being done across the board there as well. So it's so reassuring to see our members working hard to improve their services. Um, and others come to us and they'll say, we know that this isn't working. What can you do to help us? So we'll be able to share what other members are doing or speak to other members to find out for them um, to sort of help address that and create more of a network working together. Amazing. Um, one of our other members, Closing the Gap, has also done research into tailored smoking sensation initiatives um, that we know um, does an amazing job to help people quit. There's also um, other work being done around things like Champix, which um, Hannah will be able to share her experience in that. And there's a lot of tailored support that's being created. And as I will be like a broken record, probably by the time this podcast finishes, um, the best services are always the ones that are created in true co-production with lived experience members as well. So that's something that we always advocate for. I know it's hard to 
build that into the budget and the time, but it just makes a much better service in the long run. One thing that's quite shocking is the statistics of people with a severe mental illness and people smoking with a with not a severe mental illness is a massive difference. There's so many people smoking with a severe mental illness than it's compared to people without a severe mental illness. And that really needs, again, needs to change. And I think it's difficult to access smoking sensation when you have a severe mental illness because there's lots of different things that come into play when you've you've got a severe mental illness, like a brown letter coming through the post and thinking, I don't want to open that one because that's they've stopped my benefits when it could just be a physical health check or a, have you got any ideas to stop smoking? But um, I, I actually had something called champix that I got from my doctor when I was in the community and it's a medication that you take while you smoke for two weeks and it actually puts you off smoking and it and I thought I thought oh yeah this isn't gonna work I'm gonna be smoking like a chimney still but by the end of the two weeks I was smoking I was gone from like 10 to 15 a day down to about two or three cigarettes a day and not really wanting to smoke them so that's amazing yeah and then I quit for a year so that was really good and I had some really good support with it I had really good support from the smoking sensation nurse and she rang me every week and but unfortunately at the end of it well before the end of it my mental health took a bit of a a dip and that they they want they said it could be the Champex medication, so we're going to take you off it. But I did manage to quit for over a year, and I'm planning on maybe trying it again. That's amazing, and um, I think I'm right in saying that you know there's there's been a lot in the past about like you know people with severe mental illness that they well just let them smoke it's like the one joy in life right like and and smoking on wards and and this being just a thing of like you know whatever helps someone to feel a little bit less bad right but we also know that actually lots of people with severe mental illness do want to quit but my understanding is that once you get into an inpatient unit getting support to stop smoking is just often really not there no it's it's not it's your Basically, once you're admitted, you're told you can't smoke because whether you're on 40 a day or whether you're on 10 a day, once you go into a NHS hospital, it is, no, sorry, you can't smoke. You don't get the options of, would you like a patch? Would you like an inhalator? Would you like a this? Would you like that? You get given one of those little in- inhalators that look like tampons and um, basically get told you can have one of those a day and you can puff on that and in some hospitals you are allowed to vape so in my last admission I'd never vaped in my life and I obviously had to quit smoking because it was on an acute ward and I was it wasn't allowed to smoke and they didn't give me any not even the Tampax looking inhalator and I ended up starting vaping and now I vape and smoke (laughs) So that's really bad. There definitely needs to be the tailored support, doesn't there? And I think it is tough when services are stretched, but all of the evidence shows that a tailored smoking sensation programme is needed for people, especially when you're going into hospital and you can no longer smoke. Yeah, in inpatients, it's really important. 
in it's, it shouldn't just be oh, okay you can vape because you do then go out being a smoker and a vapor it just feels like there's a even wider conversation here about like about mental health services and psychiatry and it's something we talk about a lot you know it's very much seen as mental health and just mental health and and this kind of failure to acknowledge that our physical and mental health are so closely intertwined that you can't literally just look at one or the other um, and there have obviously been steps forwards to improve that and you've got liaison psychiatrists in some general hospitals but we're still seeing a massive inequality here aren't we in acute and in inpatient psychiatric care um just acknowledging that people are not just minds and brains but their bodies as well and and kind of looking after people holistically um it's also um it's not often i don't think i i didn't know about it until i started with equally well where the medication levels actually can change with smoking so um i think that's one fact that people don't often realize but also the cost saving as well in the long run but people want to quit smoking quite often not everyone does but the majority of people do want to quit smoking but it's just getting the support to quit and being asked in the right way rather than being told you've got to quit because i think most of us don't work well by being told we'll do something and instead ask asking the individual and seeing how they can be supported talking about the medication levels it's it's clozapine that uh, one of the medications that are um it's a really strong medication and if you smoke on it it can actually lower the the way the medication works on you so i can remember when i was in a secure unit we would as soon as we get our first 15 minutes unescorted leave we'd run to the shop buy a packet of 20 cigarettes because that's all you can buy these days smoke as many as you can in the 15 minutes then bury the cigarettes somewhere that you hope will be able to find them when you come out for your next 15 minutes and that was shooting the clozapine levels high and it was really dangerous for people. Hannah, I'd love to know like, if you've seen instances where services are actively seeking to turn the tide on this, because obviously what we're talking about is really hard, but we know there are examples of good stuff happening. So I work for the Royal College of Psychiatry, who actually are members of Equally Well UK, and well, I work for them doing peer reviews. I work for the Forensic Network and the PQ Network, which is Psychiatric Intensive Care, so we visit different services. And when I've gone into services, the especially the forensic services, there's been lots to do with physical health and then getting them to the gym, getting them to see the GPs, getting them to see the dentist, even getting them to do opticians. And they've got like healthy weight management and stuff like instead of cook chill food, like the region food that's like ready meal slop. They've actually some some units are actually now cooking on the unit, and you've got wards that are able to um, the patients are able to go out with a member of staff or sometimes without a member of staff, and get their weekly shopping, and then they're allowed to cook for themselves, and they're encouraged to cook healthy meals and things like that. So there are some really good initiatives going around, especially in forensic units. It's always so interesting to hear about the work you're doing, Hannah, um, and especially when we hear from our EQR members as well. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in the last five years is when we first started Equally Well, a lot of members kept reinventing the wheel, whereas in the last five years, they're working together more and it's becoming more of a network. And it's great to be able to share with other members what's happening. And I think that's one of the core things that Equally Well's role is to share best practice and 
really help others to thrive in the areas that they might be struggling a little bit more in because no one organization is doing this perfectly yet there is still a long way to go to get every service the best possible it can be and hopefully close that early mortality gap sooner than later that's so exciting to hear because it's this idea of yeah like everyone has bits of good practice but there's it's not joined up and I think that's the like the beauty of equally well is bringing together people with lived experience and clinicians and services on the ground to say like look here's what we're doing let's share it and have it done everywhere and that's that's like amazing amazing work so thank you that's really exciting we've also got the uh, research side of it as well so bringing in the organizations that don't have a service but they're doing things on the other side of it so the research or the, the knowledge base so it really does bring everything in together. And also the fact that we have a members like forum and things like that, you get to share all your great initiatives on the members forum. So if you're not part of Equally Well, then you want to get part of Equally Well because you will learn lots of different stuff from our podcasts, from our webinars and our newsletters. So all of that goes out to everyone of the members so just get joining equally well amazing thank you guys so much um and yes we will obviously link in the show notes to um how you can become a member of equally well and lots more information on that just before we wrap up i think one of the amazing things about equally well one of many is this really incredible and actually like beautiful model of co-production at the core of all your work and i think it's really exemplifying how lived experience should be at the core of any of this kind of work. And it's something that's talked about a lot, but I think Equally Well is really sort of putting their money where their mouth is. So could you tell me a little bit more about the kind of model and, and, and why that's so critical to Equally Well's work? I think it is quite unique in a way, or it's becoming less unique, which I love, more and more people are doing. But when we first started and when I heard about it from Helen and then Equally Well in the UK started our own version, uh, so we slightly adapted it. I feel like it's, I've probably loved working on Equally Well so much more because we're all a partnership. So um, as the person that project manages Equally Well UK, I've never seen it as I'm higher than anyone else. I've always seen it as a partnership. So I listen to the expert by experience members and the clinical group members and the overall Equally Well members. And we see it very much as everyone's important everyone's playing a part and feeding in so when we uh, decide on the webinars I do them very much by after having the expert by experience meetings and the clinical group meetings taking on the various points that everyone shared and making sure that the key factors are um, put into play however we do also have the others where an expert by experience member might share something like their oral health being neglected which others may not have thought about so therefore um, we'll end up doing a webinar on that, which we did do. Um, but we very much try and pick up topics that not everyone will have thought of. And then also the obvious, more obvious ones like physical health, that's is important. But the expert by experience members, I think I've learned so much from them because they are a partnership. They Everything they say feeds into equally well and really is valued from when they raised about the concerns around cost of living. We then fitted it into a winter webinar where we looked at the whole effects of the winter and severe mental illness. So it's very much a sort of core team um, rather than a hierarchy. And I think that really plays into part when we're designing 
any of the work we do and even putting in bids. We have our expert by experience members involved and we also have the clinicians involved as well. So it's a, a true co-production. Hannah's done a lot of co-production as well. And so she might feed in a bit more on that side. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm on my own in saying this either, but we don't, I think some places treat expert by experience as service users and patients and they're just listened to and then other decisions are made. But in equally well, as a part of the expert by experience group and now vice chair, I don't think I've ever been anywhere that has felt so listened to not even just because I'm the vice chair now, but even when I was just part of the equally well expert by experience group, I still felt that my voice was really heard. And um, now I'm part of the the clinical group because I'm the vice chair with um, Marsha as the, as the chair, we, we get to bring what the experts by experience have to say to that group and you see the process and and how it all works and in the clinical group they don't just go oh okay that's really nice let's move on it's it's really okay how can we work with that and let's get that going and stuff and, and I think that's really really good and it, and and I couldn't feel more blessed to be part of equally well really well that is a really lovely note to end on and um, this has been a, a quite a bittersweet conversation because I've loved chatting to you guys, but very sadly, Emma is actually moving on from equally well. So this is also um, an opportunity to say a massive thank you to you for the way that you've led it over the last five years and all the work that's gone on alongside the different groups. So stay tuned. We will be appointing a new project manager for equally well. The work continues. It's very much not over, but a massive thank you to Emma. Um, and thank you to both of you guys for chatting to me today. It's so exciting. We'll pop loads more information in the show notes. Um, but thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. And you can find out lots more information about Equally Well in the show notes or at equallywell.co.uk. And if you found this episode helpful, please keep our vital work going by donating at centreformentalhealth.org.uk slash donate. See you next time.